Let's open our Bibles this morning, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 10, and then to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 10. I'm going to read verses 1 to 22, and then we'll flip over to Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but He casts away the desire of the wicked. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. He who winks with the eye causes trouble, but a prating fool will fall. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Wisdom is found on the lips of him who is understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow. With it. Now, please turn over to Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, and we'll be turning to a few other portions in Proverbs in the course of the message. Proverbs 23, 4 Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. So far, the reading of God's holy word. He was extremely well off. Widely recognized as a successful and wealthy man. He was undoubtedly envied by many who observed him. Yes, Job was a prosperous farmer. Job 1.3 tells us that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. 
When he walked the streets of his community, people showed their admiration. When he went out to the gate and took his seat in the open square, both the young men and the aged showed their respect. They all treated him as a chief and as a king, says Proverbs 29, Job 29. However, the wealthy farmer who seemed to have it all lost everything in just one day. He was smitten with four calamities in a row so that all his prosperity was gone in one afternoon, his entire estate. Job's staggering loss illustrates the words of our text. Sometimes riches sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. A person may be wealthy today and lose it all tomorrow. Financially secure today and sitting on an ash heap tomorrow. The Wall Street crash of 1929 affected millions of people. It is remembered as Black Tuesday. It had a major impact on the U.S. and world economy. It is said that billions of dollars of wealth were wiped out in one day. The major financial loss was such a shock that it was the occasion for some to commit suicide. I once heard on the news of a man who lost more than $1 billion of client money, including much, if not all, of his own family's fortune. He sat down in his office and ended his own life. He no longer had a will to live. Congregation, on this Thanksgiving Day, most of us here are doing quite well. Yes, some of us may struggle somewhat financially, but we all have food on our tables and a roof over our head. Most of us here this morning are well cared for. How do we view the good things that God has given us? Today, we want to consider what Proverbs has to say about money and the wisdom needed to rightly perceive it, to honestly obtain it, and to faithfully manage it. First of all, what can we learn from Proverbs to rightly view money and prosperity? There are a number of things that we could draw from this book, but let's look first of all from our text that riches are fleeting. Riches are fleeting. Look with me to Proverbs 23 and verse 4. Do not overwork to be rich, or do not wear yourself out to get rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Verse 5, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. The book of Proverbs has some positive things to say about wealth. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Chapter 10, verse 22. Some people think, seem to think that money is the root of all evil. After all, isn't that what the Bible teaches? Well, no. Actually, the Bible doesn't teach that. It tells us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money and possessions are not inherently evil. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19 tells us, everyone also to whom God has given riches and wealth and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. If you're well off, it's God's gift. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. 
Your riches can be used in a wonderful way to bless the lives of others, as we will see in a moment. However, our text presents us with a word of caution. Verse 4 says, do not overwork or do not wear yourself out to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Have the wisdom to show restraint. While the Bible reminds us of the good that money can accomplish, it also sets before us the dangers. It could be a blessing to you, but it can also be a curse. How many people work long hours to increase their wealth, but as verse 4 says, they overwork, wear themselves out to get rich? Now, the book of Proverbs commends hard work and daily diligence. It, it rebukes the sluggard and condemns laziness, right? But while the book of Proverbs praises the hard work of those who provide for their family and avoid being a burden to others, it also wants us to examine our motives, goals, and priorities. The person described in the first line of verse 4 is a person who is more than diligent. More than diligent describes a person who's obsessed. There are some people who are so determined to get ahead financially that their marriage and family suffer. Their relationships in the community suffer. Their health suffers. Their involvement in the church suffers. And their devotional life and relationship with God suffers. How many marriages have been strained or broken entirely because the man is rarely home? A woman says to her husband, I've had it. You're not married to me, you're married to your work. She walks out on him and slams the door. Her husband has become a slave to his job and she sits at home feeling like a widow. Although her decision to leave the marriage is sinful, she doesn't care. She feels as though she has no husband. And how many children have wandered off in a dangerous direction because dad is never home? Even non-Christians recognize some of the dangers of absent fathers. Studies have shown an increase in the average suicide rate among children, increased childhood obesity, increased rates of depression, incarceration, school dropouts, substance abuse, teen pregnancies, higher levels of aggressive behavior, divorce as adults, and so on. It is widely recognized that those who grow up with absent fathers can suffer devastating results. And then, dear brothers and sisters, how many churches have suffered for lack of solid leadership because of men who are so busy with their business that they don't have time for church? No time to serve as elder or deacon. No time for men's Bible studies. No time to serve on committees. No time for evangelism and no time for regular, regularity at worship services. And how many men ruin their health because of their pursuit of financial advancement, heart attacks, stress, irritability, anxiety? Many of us men do well to heed the warning, warning here in verse 4a. Do not overwork. Wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. I don't think there are too many workaholics on their deathbed who say, 
If I were to do it all over again, I would work just a little harder. I would build my business just a little bigger. I would spend more time at the job. I would shoot for greater returns. No, I suspect there are many workaholics on their deathbed who think to themselves, what a fool I have been. I built a wonderful house, but a poor home. I married a beautiful wife, but maintained an ugly marriage. I received healthy children, but I invested little toward their spiritual health. I was part of a faithful church, but I offered little toward its well-being. God gave me a strong body, but I abused it through my dogged pursuit of material advancement. If I were to do it all over again, I would prayerfully strive to be less concerned about my bank account, more balanced in my work, and more diligent in my marriage, home, family, church, and relationship with God. I would prayerfully strive to lead family worship and point my children to the precious treasure, Jesus Christ, the source of purest pleasure. The one who alone can provide eternal joy and eternal riches. If I were to do it all over again, I would ask the Lord for the wisdom of verse 4b, the wisdom to cease. Congregation, the book of Proverbs reminds us that while riches can be a blessing, they are a poor source of lasting happiness. Our text tells us that material wealth is very transient. Look again at verse 5. Verse 5. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Sometimes even we Christians can live our lives as though this earth is our permanent home. On the Lord's Day, we hear about the fact that we're only pilgrims and strangers here. We sing about the brevity of life and our eternal home in heaven. We hear in both word and song about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We confess all these wonderful truths on the Lord's Day, that those who trust in the crucified Christ are rich, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have mansions prepared for us in glory. Yet during the week, do we sometimes look to wealth for our security? Do we trust in our bank account, in our investments, in our disability insurance, house insurance, life insurance, financial planning, RSPs, or retirement benefits? Yes, the book of Proverbs calls us to make sensible preparation for the future. But how often do we cross that line from sensible preparation to irrational reliance on that which is fleeting? How often do we put our trust in the gifts rather than the giver of all gifts? How often do we crave earthly riches more than eternal riches in Jesus Christ? Verse 5 of our text uses the image of a flying eagle to capture the idea of, of the transience of wealth. Riches fly off to the sky like an eagle. One writer said, The nest egg you have laid with such trouble hatches out, 
sprouts wings and disappears into the sky like an eagle, never to be seen again, gone where you can't recover it. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus spoke of the transience of wealth when he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I have watched news reports in which deadly tornadoes ripped through areas of the U.S. There were people later interviewed who stood by the mangled remains of their home and said, in just a few moments, I lost everything. All that I owned was carried away and shredded by the wind. In their case, riches literally flew off to the sky like an eagle. Some with beautiful homes quality furniture, manicured gardens, polished vehicles, and sparkling swimming pools, lost it all, whoosh, in a matter of minutes. I recall hearing one couple say, all we ever worked for is gone. Everything except the clothes on our back, we have nothing left. Congregation, on this Thanksgiving Day, think about it. If we merely lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, we can be sorely disappointed. Jesus said, moths and rust destroy. That beautiful truck that you finally managed to buy, that nice, shiny truck, is probably going to be a rust bucket in 15 to 20 years. The new deck furniture will soon be landfill. Entropy is persistent. Fabric breaks down, wood rots, paint fades and peels, metal corrodes and technology fails. Even concrete can crack with the frost. And not only do moths and rust destroy, but Jesus also warned that thieves break in and steal. You remember that in Toronto, two men disguised themselves with burkas, entered a jewelry store, forced a worker at gunpoint to open the display case, stuffed bags with jewelry, and fled within five minutes, making off with $500,000 in jewelry. You see, in this fallen, sinful world, ungodly people destroy property spray graffiti on buildings, burn down homes, open safes and take the valuables, and even manage to hack computers and siphon money from your account or from your credit card in very creative and ingenious ways. And therefore, while we may take pleasure in the good things of this life, and while Paul told Timothy that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, while all that may be true, We should not tether our hearts to this world and its fleeting treasures. Proverbs 11.28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. So the question I present to you on this Thanksgiving day is this. What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? If all that you possessed was snatched away from you in one afternoon, would you, like Job, fall to the ground and worship? I realize a question like that is difficult to answer. We can only respond as Job responded by the grace of God. Nevertheless, it is a good question for us to reflect upon. 
Will you serve God even though you seem to get nothing from it? Will you love and worship Him simply because He is God? Will you continue to cherish the infinite worth of His glory? At this very moment, is He number one in your life? Is He number one in your heart? Is Jesus Christ more precious to you than all the riches of this life and everything that you've accumulated? Having lost everything, Job humbly worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Well, how then should we use the resources that God may give us? Before we get to the actual use of money, we should note what Proverbs says about how our money is to be obtained. Point number two how our money is to be obtained. Back up with me, please, in your Bible to Proverbs 11, verse 1. Proverbs 11, verse 1. The Lord knows where your money has come from, every dollar. And He wants you to be faithful in your daily transactions. He's present at your work, in your business, in the marketplace, and at the shopping mall. Proverbs 11, 1 says this. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. The picture here in chapter 11, verse 1, is that of a merchant in the marketplace. The customer thinks he's getting a pound when he's only getting three-quarters of a pound. The merchant uses incorrect weights to deceive his customer and to line his own pockets. That term there, dishonest scales, in Proverbs 11.1 1, could be translated scales of deceit. Such scales are abhorred by the Lord. Verse 1 there uses the word abomination. That word translated abomination is a very strong word in the Old Testament. It's used in the Old Testament to describe God's attitude towards idolatry homosexuality and other sexual sins, human sacrifice, occult activity, ritual prostitution, and sacrificing unclean or defective animals. Abomination. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. They are repugnant. Now, how does this apply in our modern world? Well, it's rather obvious, isn't it? God is present in the world of business and commerce, and He requires integrity and uprightness. As we go about our daily work, we need to realize that cheating people for money is morally reprehensible. False advertising, deceitful scales, cutting corners are all loathsome to the Lord. Accurate weights, on the other hand, are God's delight, according to Proverbs 11.1. 1. He is a God of truth, and He wants His people to reflect His character in the marketplace and in the realm of business. So first of all, Proverbs insists that money may only be obtained in an honest manner. Furthermore, this book also tells us that ordinarily, money is earned little by little through diligence and daily faithfulness. Turn to Proverbs 13.11. Proverbs 13, 11. How often do we hear about get-rich-quick schemes? 
Pyramid schemes, foreign investment schemes, double your money in a month schemes, make millions in real estate schemes. Participants are promised a high rate of return with very little risk, skill, effort, or time. Sometimes it's said that you can earn significant amounts of money while staying home. And then there are also numerous lotteries offered today. Play the lottery and win instantly, living the dream. Yes, this could be you. What's the wisdom of Proverbs regarding such things? Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished or dwindles away, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Now, verse 11b has also been translated, but he who gathers money little by little will increase it. Ordinarily, money is earned how? Little by little, hard work, careful planning, cautious spending, and wise, realistic, well-researched investing. The get-rich-quick. That language sounds rather appealing to most ears. But while it sounds appealing to most ears, those who pursue easy wealth usually end up playing what Proverbs calls the fool, the fool. Listen to Proverbs 28, 19, and 20. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. A faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. You see, ordinarily, we get ahead by rising on time in the morning, Working our land or working in the office, picking up our tools, doing our daily work, selling our produce, and putting in an honest day's work. Proverbs warns us against all notions of easy wealth. If you chase fantasies, if you chase fantasies, lotteries, gambling, jackpots, multi-level marketing, and so on, you will not succeed. As a pastor, I have sometimes interacted with financially struggling couples, and on more than one occasion, the cash-strapped couple turned to harebrained solutions, multi-level marketing plans that promised much but only got them deeper in the hole. Instead of listening carefully to the wisdom of Proverbs, they chose the path of increased failure and financial misery. Dear friends, if you're eager to get rich, if you're eager to get rich, eager to get something for nearly nothing, if you lust after material gain, if you care more about finances than faithfulness, you will fail. And even if you do succeed financially for a time in this life, which some people do, you will be punished eternally if your life exhibits nothing more than greed, laziness, and self-centeredness. And you will forfeit the everlasting riches of life with Christ. The Apostle Paul stated it so pointedly to Timothy. Listen. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
So, how may we acquire wealth? First of all, honestly. Secondly, little by little, diligent, patient, intelligent effort over the course of a lifetime. On rare occasions, a person can legitimately make money rapidly, but ordinarily, the accumulation of money is gradual and slow, not by windfalls, but by handfuls. One writer pointed out that building wealth gradually is wise because it allows us to better manage the temptations and responsibilities of, pros of prosperity. Wealth that comes upon a person quickly can have devastating results. The lives of lottery winners, for example, are often harmed by sudden riches, sometimes severely. Ill-equipped to handle a flood of cash, they often engage in wasteful spending or fall victim to unwise counsel. Broken relationships, divorce, and even bankruptcy are among the tragic but not unusual outcomes. This should come as no surprise. Too much temptation or responsibility too quickly is like being swept away by a raging river. But when you get rich slowly, according to the paradigm of Proverbs, you and your money can mature together, so to speak. Gathering money little by little makes it far easier to use that money wisely, generously, and biblically. Which brings us to our final point. We've considered briefly what Proverbs has to say about money, the wisdom needed to rightly perceive it and to honestly obtain it. We now want to conclude on this Thanksgiving Day with the wisdom needed to faithfully manage it. The wisdom needed to faithfully manage it. Turn back even further in your Bible to Proverbs 3, verse 9. Sinful human nature tends to say, I earned it, I'll do with it as I see fit. But the renewed, transformed, spirit-directed nature says, it all really belongs to him, but he entrusted it to me. He enabled me to earn it, and now, because I love him, I want to use it for his glory. Notice the words of Proverbs 3, verse 9. This should be the desire of every Christian. If you've had your sins forgiven through the sacrifice of Christ and received the assurance of everlasting life, if you have been promised, you, you then have been promised wealth that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And if that's the case for you, then this should be the desire of your heart. Chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Proverbs puts the focus where it belongs. It's not merely about you, your comfort, your toys, your indulgence. More importantly, it's about God and His glory. In the Old Testament, God's people were expected to give 10% of their income so as to support the work of the priests and their temple service. They were to return to the Lord a portion of what he had entrusted to them, thereby honoring him with their wealth. And notice how chapter 3, verse 9 mentions the first fruits of all your increase, your produce. God's people were not to give him the leftovers. After I pay this bill, 
and repair this fence and buy that cow and have all my expenses covered, then if I have something left over, maybe I'll give it to the Lord. I'll fit the Lord in if I can. That is not what God wanted. He wanted them to give the first fruits. He didn't want the leftovers. He was to be at the top of their list. A congregation, from a new covenant perspective, we can even take it a step further. As those who live on this side of the cross, we should not merely tithe, but we should look to Christ as the example of generous and sacrificial giving. I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. I love that verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That passage was written in connection with Paul's exhortation to give to the needy. He was raising money for the less fortunate, and to motivate the Corinthians to give, he pointed them to Jesus who gave up the riches of heaven and came down into our poverty so that we might become eternally rich. The gospel of Christ ought to make us generous in our giving. Glad-hearted generosity flows from a genuine appreciation for the gospel of Christ. Jesus was dishonored so that we may be honored in God's presence. He was despised and rejected so that we may be loved and accepted. Knowing all that he has given so that we may be honored, it should be the desire of every genuine Christian to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. Knowing the grace of Christ, giving for the work of God's kingdom is not a burden, but a privilege, a privilege. The person who truly knows the love of Christ says, Lord, I want to honor you with the resources you have given me. I want to give generously to the work of your kingdom so that others may be spiritually and eternally enriched through the gospel. Lord, I want to give to the work of missions so that your name will be proclaimed both locally and abroad. I want to help the needy and afflicted and show them the love of Christ. I want to give so that others may know your greatness and find their happiness in you. I'm always impressed when I read Exodus 35 and 36. The Israelites were asked to contribute for the building of the tabernacle, and the people responded eagerly and willingly. In fact, they brought so much for the building of the sanctuary that the craftsmen said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So how did Moses respond? Do you remember? Exodus 36, verse 6, so Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing, and the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. What an amazing moment when Moses had to restrain the people from giving. Imagine our deacons coming up here and saying, please stop giving. 
Stop giving. We don't know what to do with it all. Close your wallets and put away your checkbooks. We have far too much. Congregation, on this Thanksgiving Day, remember, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. Knowing the finished work of Jesus and all that he has given for you, you have far greater reason to give than did the Israelites in the wilderness. Proverbs calls you to a life of generous, joyful, warm-hearted, God-centered giving. And the fullness of the gospel of Christ revealed so beautifully on the pages of the New Testament should further motivate us to open our hearts, our hands, and our wallets for the cause of Christ. For His people, for His work, for the advancement of His kingdom. Matthew 25, Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes in His glory, He will say to the sheep on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. Use what God has given you to feed the hungry, to show hospitality to the stranger, to clothe the naked, to minister to the sick and imprisoned, and to make the name of Christ known to the perishing. Matthew 6, after speaking of the transience of earthly treasures, Jesus went on to say, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heaven is the safest place to store your treasures. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? By investing in God's work, God's people, and God's kingdom. When you use your money for kingdom causes, you are investing in that which will bear dividends for eternity. So congregation, Thanksgiving Day is a good opportunity to consider your financial situation. Whether you have much or little, are you laying up treasures on earth or are you laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. May each one of you who know the grace of Christ honor the Lord with your possessions. And if there's anyone here this morning who has been following the world in its irrational pursuit of material riches, I ask you to consider the superior riches of life in Jesus Christ. You can't take your earthly treasures with you when you die. But if you're righteous through faith in Jesus, you will share astounding riches and unceasing pleasures. Pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Turn to Christ. Give your life to him. Lay up treasure in heaven. 
and you will be blessed beyond measure. Eternal thanksgiving.